Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. I'm excited to be attending and recording shows at Rainmaker 2016. You can join keynote speaker Gary Vanderchuk along with modern revenue leaders at the only conference dedicated to the sales development industry, March 7th and 9th in Atlanta. Get tickets now to receive cutting-edge sales content from thought leaders, learn best practices during breakout sessions, and come network with the world's top sales influencers. If you use the promo code BTFS and the number 30, you'll get 30% off. More information is on the show website at buildingthefutureshow.com. I'm also going to be at the Business Rocks Tech, Music, and Investment Summit recording shows live in Manchester, England, April 21st and 22nd, where Steve Wozniak is headlining. More information about the summit is on the show website at buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Harris Glasser, businessman and author of the book, It's My Money and I Want It. Harris, welcome to the show. Wonderful to be here, Kev. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Um, you have quite the interesting past and it's been, you know, kind of a very good ride for you. And so I kind of wanted to have you on the show just to kind of talk about, you know, your experience and kind of why you decided to write the book. But maybe kind of before we get into kind of the book, um, let's cover kind of where you grew up. Sure. <laughs> Brooklyn, New York. Right. Sure. Okay. Interesting. You, you, you think I have that kind of accent? You know what I mean. <laughs> a little bit. I noticed that. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Yep. Most okay. of my life there. Okay. And, and and did business. Okay. That's why I did business. So, what did you take kind of after high school? Like, did you did you go to post secondary or university or something like that? No, actually, I uh, I went to a college, but didn't really make it through because my feelings were you, you, you can't teach me business from a textbook. That doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I have to go out there and taste it and feel it. And I've always said that uh, it's interesting. Uh, someone goes to uh, the high school, they graduate, uh, then they go into college and uh, they study the, the textbooks, and they go on to teach business and marketing. And I'm saying, you can't do that. Sure. You can't. <laughs> and so I wasn't much into college. I went a little bit to satisfy my dad, but after about a year and a half, that was it. So what did you off- take in college, just out of curiosity? Oh, my dad was a contractor okay. for uh, the city of New York. Okay. And uh, so I took a course, construction technology. But the crazy thing was, uh, for whatever reason, I guess since I was like 11, 12 years old, when my dad first showed me a set of plans, you know, right, you know, building, putting up building, it was like, oh, yeah, that's what that, that, and this is that on the plan. He says, yeah, you know everything. And it was so bizarre. I mean, Kev, it was like, I was looking at a set of huge blueprints. And I was like, I was reading English. So. <laughs> Yeah, so I really wasn't interested in what the professors had to teach when all they did was learn it from a textbook. And from the time I was a little kid, I was trouncing around on construction jobs with my feet in the plaster and the mud and the concrete. <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay, so you, you leave college. Then what did, right. what did you end up doing? Okay, so I went to work for oh about a couple of years or so with my dad and his partner. Okay. First of all, every summer – 
I used to work on their jobs. I'd work as a laborer, let's say, with the plasterers, then 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 with the roofers, and then with the con his concrete men, then with carpenters. So I got to see hands-on how long it takes to do things and what's involved to do things, right? Sure. And then then eventually I worked as a super for them. That was every summer in between high school in high school. And then we got out of college. I went to work from the office, and his my dad's partner was a tremendous estimator. And I would be in the office taking off all the plans and specs and putting together numbers and going out into the field and checking the plans and helping put together the numbers. I never forget my I said to my dad, I'm getting married. Right? Here I was, I was gonna be twenty, I was twenty years old. I was getting married, I said, Dad, I'm getting sixty five dollars a week, which even back then, Kev, was not much money. If you went <laughs> ten times that, you know, what is it? Six hundred fifty dollars today. Uh, so, so what year was this roughly? Just, just out of curiosity. Uh, nineteen sixty-four. Okay, okay. Right. Sixty-five bucks. Interesting. You're right. Oh, <laughs> pizza was fifteen cents, and a coke was a dime. So, twenty-five cents, you got a slice and, a, and an orange drink or a coke. Sure. So, I, so I got married. Well, yeah. Just out of curiosity, what was rent like in New York in in kind of the mid '60s? Okay. Okay, we lived in Brooklyn and we okay. paid uh, $112 a month. Wow, interesting. <laughs> I'm sorry, my wife, wait, wait, my wife just said, how much did we pay? 126 126 for a huge one-bedroom, huge one-bedroom apartment, $126 a month. Uh, that's fascinating. It's come, come quite a bit in the last uh, few years, hey? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I should have held on to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> So, so I'm kind of curious. So, okay, so you're working for your dad. Um, kind of, did how long did you stay with him? And I don't know, a year and a half, two years, and I got married. Okay, so you I, got married. I, okay, I I come back and had a few dollars from the wedding, and my dad lent me a few dollars, put together five thousand dollars. Okay. Right, which sure. let's say today is like fifty, seventy-five thousand, you know, fifteen times or whatever, right? Sure. Uh, sure. If pizza was fifteen cents today, it's two and change, so it's fifteen times. Uh, I started bidding little tiny jobs for the city of New York Department of Education. They were called open market orders, under twenty-five hundred. You didn't need a bond. Any government kind of contracting, city, state, or federal, you need a bond. Jobs under twenty-five, you didn't. And I got my, I was low bidder. Everything was a sealed bid. You take out the uh, plans, the specifications, and you visit the job, and you fill out the bid form. And a certain day and time, you're sitting there, and they open up all the envelopes. And I got my first job, low bidder for five hundred and fifty dollars, something like that. I was like, cool, cool, <laughs> right? Oh my god. Well, you know, I didn't have any men, so my my dad lent me uh, one of their uh, laborers, and. In one week, in five days, I made like three hundred dollars. I'm like, oh my god, where has this been my whole life? This is you awesome. awesome. Oh yeah, I'm telling you, it was like oh, unbelievable. And the next job I got was uh, like fifteen hundred and change. And these were certain kind of jobs that I could do with one man, and you know, just help him a little. And I was doing well. And then I got to the point where I was able to get bonds. Okay. Yeah, just, right? and just, I, just for the listener that doesn't know, what, what is that exactly? A bond is from an insurance company guaranteeing the city or state or federal agency you're bidding for that your bid is in all good faithfulness. 
And if you are low bidder, they will put up a performance and payment bond that guarantees even if you die or go broke, the insurance company will complete the job and the payment bond guarantees that everyone's supplier, subcontractors, labor will all be paid. Okay. No, that, that that's cool. Okay. So, so you're doing, you got this and then you, you kept doing jobs for the city? Yeah. Uh, my first job, I was a little bitter. I was $52,000. And just, you know, sometimes whatever you touch in life goes good. Sometimes whatever you touch turns to crap. Sure. I guess I was, I was in a period in my life, everything was gold. $52,000 job, did it in four weeks and made $20,000. Wow, and that's I'm awesome. Like, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> uh, and then so the bonding company trusted me. My next job was 90 some odd thousand, banged that out in short time and that was it I was off and running uh, I was 20 by time that time I was about 21 by the time I was 28 I was packing it in I had 69 contracts running simultaneously anywhere from $50,000 to a million and a quarter wow. 69 it was a monster so uh, I'd come home I'd have trouble eating breathing my wife said what pain in my chest and I said, "What well, am I off my mind? Big house, big car, big swimming pool, big contracts, big deal." Sure. I'm. It's not doing anything for my life. I was never really into money. It's just I showed up, in my, you know, my business every day, and whatever I touched went good. And so I walked in one day to my business. I said, "That's it. I'm closing this place down." Everyone looked at me. Yeah, right. I said, "Yeah, no, no. I had it. I'm not into any of these this stuff." It took four years to close it all down, okay. and lost everything in that interim because. Closing a big business would run overhead still running and lost it all. I was like, I don't really care. I just want out. At that time, you know, it was the 70s. You so, know? so why didn't it, you sell it just out of curiosity? Okay, good question. Somebody wanted to buy it from me. Okay. And and I'm a funny guy. There's a, I, there's a word in Eastern, uh, uh, I don't call it philosophy or what, called Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A, Dharma. Yep. Which right action, right thought, right deeds. I said, I started this business from the ground up. People trusted me. They gave me credit. Suppliers, subcontractors trusted me. Uh, I started it. I'm seeing it down to the end. Sure. I could have sold it. And it's just not my thing. I said, you know, I'm going to make sure that I, as far as concerned, I, the right thing is done for all these people because contractors have a funny rep <laughs> and I knew them long enough. Yeah, no, 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 not good. So I wasn't going to turn it over to someone and it wasn't a matter this was my baby. No, I wanted to see the right thing done. Well, it cost me everything, but I really didn't care. I wanted out and I'll never forget there was a line in this song by Bob Dylan at the time. I don't know, right, you know the name? Yeah, Dylan? yeah, yeah. Okay, the line went, all right, I've had enough. What else can you show me? <laughs> so, okay, so you, you, you close this down. Then what did you get up to? Okay, so after hanging out a little bit, uh, I said to my wife, okay, we have to make a living because we really don't have much. Sure. I, and she had, was reading articles. Back then, everything was earthy about these two girls who started a home sprout business, growing sprouts in the house and selling them. Okay. So they said, okay, whatever. I didn't want big business. I didn't want that anymore. So we grew some sprouts. At that time, we moved out of New York City and went upstate. Okay. Right? Uh, and we grew some, and we traveled down to the city, and I sold. we sold six little boxes of sprouts, right? 
And we came back. It was a two-hour trip each way. Sure. Came, it, was, it was a big health food chain that I knew. Put six little bags into this. So I came back six, two, a week later. Right, we got paid three dollars, fifty cents a thing, and they were all rotted. Right, I go, okay, this is not a happening thing. Time to kick in business. Okay. Right. Sure. I grew a tremendous amount. Right, and I'll back into how it happened. And within two weeks. We're shipping a half a ton. Now, if you know, I don't know if you're familiar with alfalfa sprouts. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of light, right? Sure. No way. We're shipping a half a ton a week down to every major health food store and restaurant and salad bar in the five boroughs. Oh, wow. And, yes. And Where did I you did have the space for all this stuff? Okay. I had rented. It was a fellow who had a, uh, a man had a. Uh, a dairy business upstate New York because he used to supply all the uh, hotels up there. Okay. So so he had a building he wasn't using that he kept in it. He parked indoors all his refrigerated trucks okay. that he wasn't using, that wasn't the fleet in use. So he rented that building from him. We hooked up one of the refrigerated trucks, and that was our walk-in refrige. Huh, interesting. Right? Then I created a system. I won't go into the details of the system that every four days we could produce a quarter of a ton of sprouts. So every eight days was a half a ton. Oh, wow. Right? And how we got this business was a little business sense. I walked into every single place and I said, hey, sprouts. And they naturally, hey, I've been buying sprouts from my distributor for years. Why buy yours? I said, look, I'm not going to tell you they're better. They're all good. But here's the bottom line. I'm not going to charge you. They said, what do you mean? I said, take them. I'll come back in a week. If you happen to sell them, you'll pay me. If not, you don't pay me. Nothing. Now, I, that's a setup. Interesting. Okay. Because I, I, I know when I come back the following week and I ask him if they sold, the owner's going to say, oh, yeah, absolutely sold right out. Why? Because he's when his distributor, he's selling them tofu and sprouts and candy bars or whatever, you know, or you know, or other stuff for their salad bars. They've been selling it for years. So when I ask him the question, did they sell, it's a loaded question. Of course he sold. But when his distributor would come along, he would take all his other products except the sprouts, you see, because he got mine for nothing. He, You're right. He wouldn't sure. have to pay me unless they sold. And I knew, of course, they sold. But didn't they two weeks were shipping a half a ton a week? Wow. I, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was great. And then eventually I sold that. Uh, it was too cold upstate in the winter. We sold that, and we went went down to Miami. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Why why Miami? Just out of curiosity. Oh, my mom was down there, and we we bought a trailer when you know my business when I closed it all down. Left, we left practically nothing, but I bought uh, I used to call it the Silver Bullet, those big uh, Airstream trailers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we pulled it, went down to Florida, stayed in a camp for a while. So, what to do for a living? Uh, rented some space and again started Sprouts down there. But this time I was doing it approaching the – there's a big chain, green something, I don't remember the name, of a uh, supermarket, huge chain throughout the south. Well, it's with a P. I okay. Remember. And uh, my brother-in-law is a graphic designer, but huge. I mean they would fly him to England to design their – uh, Bankers Trust to design their uh, annual report and stuff. So, you know, super beyond professional firm. Sure. So, he, so he says, Harris, no charge, but I get, I get to design your box and your cover, your label. That's awesome. He did, 
Yeah, so I walk into this huge, huge chain to this buyer's office. They take one look. They said, whoa, this is not a mom-and-pop sprout thing. He says, this is professional. And before you know it, I had the whole chain, and they were buying massive quantities of these box sprouts. You must go – I don't know if Canada you have them. You go into a little uh, – you go into the store in the fruit and vegetables section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they see little boxes of sprouts. Well, that was me. Interesting. They, they were all mine. And yep. I, I love how you got a, a huge chain just by getting your, your brother <laughs> to do the yep. the branding, basically. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. Oh, it was prof- I mean, he was a professional. He did nothing but General Electric and Bankers okay. Trust, all the big – So, well, it turned out I didn't like Florida. Florida is like uh, – Miami is like God's little waiting room for people. Okay. You know? <laughs> we weren't going – we were not staying there. Came back to New York uh, and a friend of mine had a uh, uh, car dealership. Okay. He was sort of like – we grew up – we were born next door to each other, you know, and he was sort of like a godfather to my sons. And he said, hey, Harris, I know you're looking for some kind of business to do, you know, with the kids. He says, how about daily car rental? I said, daily car rental? And he explained how it's lucrative. I said, okay. Took, you know, he had a hook with Chrysler. I mean, he had car agencies. Sure. Took four, 12, took four vehicles. Within 18 months, I had a fleet of almost 80 vehicles. Oh, wow. Eight, yep. So now the thing is, we did that for a number of years, total seven years. And I realized, I mean, I realized, it didn't take long to realize, this is a retail business. The last thing I ever wanted to do was retail dealing with one-on-one customers, especially I was used to contracting with huge numbers sure. or shipping big quantities of sprouts. Not someone comes to rent the car for $42. And they give you grief because you are a uh, unfortunately necessary evil, the car. They just need the sure. car for where they're going. But the cars are paying that. You know what I mean? They got to pay for it. They got to. Uh, so we sold that for a nice sum of money. Okay, interesting. And, yep. And we got on the road. Uh, traveled some more, and you know, went to India and other places because oh, I was wow. a martial. I was a martial arts instructor for many years. My wife was a yoga instructor. Okay. So we went. Well, that leads to meditation. Went to India, studied meditation. Then we came back, and okay, what to do with my two sons? So I started bidding again for the city of New York contracts. I still have, uh, to, and. That was a little bum bum 1999. Oh, 16 years ago. Yeah, 16 years ago. And I still have a couple of years of contracts left on certain contracts I had. I had 15 years of contracts. I got two years left. Oh, interesting. That was it. Meanwhile, they said to me, hey, Dad, you've helped people your whole life. Why don't, you, why don't we just do a business helping people? I said, you know, if people need help, I don't feel good about charging them for help. We're not talking about, you know, corporations that are looking to restructure. We're talking about people, working people. So they said, why don't you write a book? Now, here's a funny thing. I've helped people my whole life. Sure. Because you're successful, people equate that with being smart. I don't think one has anything to do with the other. Okay, why, why fact, do you say that just out of curiosity? I, I agree okay. with you, but I'm curious to know your take on that. Sure. Uh, first of all, it was a great story I once read about a Harvard professor 
lunchtime, he's walking down the street and he sees a sign in a window. If you're so smart, how come you ain't rich? <laughs> <laughs> so he, uh, by the time he got back to class, he told them about this and that he contemplated it. And he said he realized one has nothing to do with another. And how I can back that up is I have many friends of mine who stayed in business, fact, as a close relative, and they're all very well off, retired. Oh, my God, Kevin, my say not smart. Oh, God bless them. I mean, in so many ways, just stupid. <laughs> but they, they were hungry. They had the eye of the tiger for money. Sure. And they didn't care. There was no thing, such thing as Dharma doing things right. It didn't matter. They okay. were hungry. You were, you were their piece of meat, and they were going to beat you and take you. And it's like, you know, not for me. So that that's why I always had trouble in business in the sense of, I could never stand and fight with you for money. So I'd have to devise other ways to 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 uh put his why was on Bloomberg taking stock with Pim Fox. I don't know if you know that station, Bloomberg. Yep, yep. Yeah, they're the biggest in the world. So there I am on there and they got people like Buffett and all these zillionaires. And they're <laughs> introducing me as the man who teaches us how to squeeze more juice out of our orange. Sure. And that's what the book was about. It's teaching people. That's why it's called It's My Money and I Want It. Is to teach people with their existing income. And every business, everyone in the world is looking to take as much as you out of your hide as possible. It's to teach people how they can squeeze more juice out of their orange, being they in business or employer working for someone or fixed income or just getting out of school. And it's not about budgeting. It's it's using your head. And well, I just do it by example. That's all. You know, the book is filled with story after story after story after story. And I, on one of the, I was on Bloomberg three times. On one of them, I was, I, Joe Franklin said to me, he said, you know, you're using money as a basis. He says, for what you're really teaching. It's not really about money, even though it is. It's not. He says, you're teaching people how to stand up for themselves and not be intimidated. Sure. And that's an interesting way of putting it. So do you maybe want to cover a little bit of uh, like a couple strategies um, from your book? Sure. There was uh, a couple that I helped. They came to me and they they were they uh, were doing selling jewelry. Okay. Door to door to door in the in the uh, garment center in New York. Okay. And they were doing this for years and just getting by, but they hated it. They hated it because they said, you know, they got to sneak by the bosses to get to the secretary to sell her $25 pair of earrings that they would come up five times to get paid out $5 a week. I was always just sneaking around to you know, collect the $5 bill, and this is what they did all day long. I said, guys, girls, to him and his wife, wait a second. Are you telling me that you're sneaking past the guy who makes $500,000 a year to get to the secretary making $25,000 a year? I said, it's the other way around. You're supposed to be sneaking past You're sneaking past the money to get to <laughs> the one in poverty. What are you doing? Sure. You need to be sneaking past her to get to the boss. Sure. And, right? And a light bulb went off in their heads. Well, they took my advice, and then I took them one step further. As they made progress, I said, now just know, we all tend to travel in the same financial circles. I mean, 
uh, you and I aren't hanging out with Buffett and his wife, right? No, 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 no. We'll travel in the same financial circles sure. that we are. We are in, and Buffett's hanging out with his trillionaires. Well, he's a very real person, though. But anyway, oh, I said, look, these wealthy people that you know, you're in their office selling, they have wealthy friends, and wealthy people like to talk about how they are very. Uh, let's say, served in the sense of you become a personal jeweler to the sure. wealthy people. I said, and how you do that? They said, how do you do that? I said, simple. You ask if one of you know these people you have a relationship up in the garment center selling them expensive pieces for their wives or husbands, right? Ask them if they could host a party, a very special party, okay? Just for them and a few close friends. And you're going to bring some beautiful pieces to display. Well, needless to say, they're very well off. They don't work that often, just at holiday times. And when they get called for you know, special things, people's anniversaries or birthdays, they're like semi-retired and have a lot of money. So the lesson there is, I once heard someone say, change the prescription of your glasses. In other words... They they were looking at their business wrong. They had a great business. They just weren't seeing it from the right perspective. And that's that's stuff that I'll, I'll do people in business. And I've had people say to me, this is great. You don't mind motor mouthing, do you, Kev? No, I know. It's good. Okay. <laughs> I've had people say, hey, I've been in business you know, for decades. I'm successful. You know, What are you kidding me? What are you going to teach me? Sure. I, Right? Sure. Person successful, business 20 years. So I said, well, I'll tell you a little story. I was on one of my government contracts rehabbing the building, and I'm walking around with the government engineer, a young, young Italian fellow. Okay. Nice guy. And we pass one of my, my lead carpenter right, as we're going through the building, and he's installing a, a, a steel door frame. And he's an elderly Italian man, and this is this is great. Looking at the two of them, uh, the way they conversed with their hand motions and everything, and the young engineer said to him, "Hey, Joe, you're not anchoring that door frame right. Not that it would fall down. It just wasn't exactly as per, you know, the government spec." Okay. And the old Italian governor my says, "Hey, younger fella, what are you telling me? Joe has been doing it like this for forty years." <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I I I love. I just stood back and just watched their dialogue and their hand. You know, the whole cultural thing between them. Sure. And the young Italian the engineer said, "Joe says, will you tell me I've been doing it like this for forty years?" And the young Italian engineer said, "Well, Joe, then for forty years you've been doing it wrong." <laughs> That's awesome. Right. So when I get business people telling me, "Hey, Harold, you're going to teach me something." Yeah, you know something. Maybe you could have made twice as much money with half the effort. Sure. Right? Just because we're successful, you know, or things have turned out right, doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it couldn't cannot be a huge improvement. And my own story on that, I mentioned just before, I have two years left on 15-year contracts. Right. There was some uh, work out to bid in all the schools. New York City is the biggest land property owner in New York. They have 1,500 buildings, schools. Okay. It was a job for t- replacing toilet petitions. Okay. And my, and my son says, just teaching bidding 
You know, they said, hey, Deb, this looks like simple work. I said, no, no, factories bid that, the factories, manufacturers bid that direct. And so I throw petitions. And they start to argue, hey, but, you know, this is easy. I said, I'm going to get it. We're going to get a price from the manufacturers when they're going to do it. And then I remembered the story of, hey, for 40 years you've been doing it wrong. Maybe things have changed. I had been away from the business a long time, right? Sure. I had a rental business, two sprout business, moved around. So we bid. And it turned out because there was removals involved of the old, et cetera, they didn't bid. We got it and led to 15 years in contracts and millions and millions of dollars in work. So there's a, there's a true life lesson on, you know, j just because you're doing it a certain way, right? Sure. That changes. And also a lesson in for so many business people, they, they're children. They come into the business a lot of times. And the youngsters may be saying, hey, mom or dad, this or that. And they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We've been running this business. But you know something? Those youngsters have a fresh set of eyes. They are seeing it w without blinders. They are virgin eyes, and they may be seeing a whole lot of stuff you're not seeing because you've been locked in for too long doing it a certain way. Sure. No, I, I think that's really good advice, and I think people kind of forget about that, right? I've, I've had um, just, you know, obviously in my career, I've kind of had to deal with clients over the years, and I've seen that a number of times where, you know, the son of the owner comes in and makes a bunch of big changes because they understand, say, technology or something more than their their father. And so they want to, you know, use technology to make things cheaper or faster. And so I, I think that's really good advice. Yeah, it's uh, we, we should invite them in, not like, well, son, don't tell me, let me tell you. <laughs> no, I, I think that's really good advice. Um, I'm kind of curious about maybe, do you want to maybe give a strategy for kind of um, debt? I know a lot of people have student loans or, or whatnot, especially when they're trying to get a business um, off the ground, especially coming out of school. Do you want to maybe give any advice on that? Sure, absolutely. It's a great, great subject, especially in today's economic times, sure. at least in this country. People not only have debt, but debt collectors coming after them for the money. Totally. Right? So I was on a show once. The host uh, gave me a heads up that there's a uh, woman who calls in who's on antidepressants because she had lost a job. She had over a dozen, I think it was 13 debt collectors, collection companies calling her. Do you have that in Canada? Yeah, we have, they, they'll send you. Yeah, they have something similar to that. Yeah. Yeah, sending letters and calling. Yeah. And she said the woman was basically suicidal. She, was on the, she didn't know what to do. They didn't deal with it. I said, okay. Good for the heads up. Well, sure enough, she calls in and I explained, I bet you don't answer the phone when you see where the call is coming from. Oh, no, 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 no. I do not. All the calls, I will not pick up the phone. I said, okay. Now, that person calling from the collection company, I don't like to call them an agency. Agency almost sounds like they're a government thing. Sure. It's a company. It's not an agency. We can, I mean, Maybe technically it is, but it's just like business. I said, do you think that person calling is the sheriff or a government official or someone from the mayor's office and they're coming down to arrest you? No. In fact is, at least in this country, I assume Canada also, unless you committed fraud, there's no debtor's prison. You don't go yeah. to jail to owe money. Is that right? No, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not fun to owe money. Nope. But, 
But you know something? It's not against the law, not unless you stole and committed fraud. So I said, did you steal one? She says, no, 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 I lost my job. I said, okay. So now I understand that that person who's calling you is just actually someone's like an actor or a model. Someone, it's usually people who need part-time jobs because they have to go out on their, their castings or their auditions and stuff. So they take those kind of jobs. And someone started a business, you know, ABC Collection Company, and they wrote up a script. And that person under the phone, they're just reading the script. Sure. They couldn't really care when they hang up the phone outside of they're working on a percentage. Right. But otherwise, they hang up the phone, next phone call. It's like robocalls. Next <laughs> phone call. And their deal is to intimidate you to get you crazy, to get you emotionally. You know you're you're supposed to pay. You have a debt. You have an obligation. They go, oh, she says, I know, I know. I can't talk to them. I said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick up the phone. And there's a gasp. I said, no, 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 no. Listen, listen. You pick up the phone. You, okay? Otherwise, they're going to call you umpteen times. Sure. And you talk to them, but not talk. You let them talk. And they're going to say, Mrs. So-and-so, yes. And, you know, I'm from so-and-so collection company. You have a debt. Yes, I know. And, you know, you have to pay. Yes, you're going to pay. Don't have money. What do you mean, no, you have to pay? And that's it. Don't argue. Let them talk for a few minutes. And just go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. They say you're there, "Uh uh-huh. And don't get emotionally involved. Don't defend. Don't anything. Just say, yeah, no, no, I'm listening to everything you're saying. I'm not arguing it. And then after a few minutes, what I want you to do is say this. You say, look. You sound like a very, very nice person, and it would, I know you're doing your job, right? and it would really be rude of me to hang the phone up on you. I would never do that. It would be terrible. But I'm very busy myself. So what I'm going to do is, and I'm telling her, breathe while you're talking this. It may be hard, but please, in my book is, an, is actual scripts that I give people. Okay. Okay? And I said, and you're going to say to them, I'm... I'm very busy too. I don't want to hang up on you. That would be terrible. So what I'm going to do is put the phone on speakerphone and I'll be doing my chores, the dishes or vacuuming, whatever. And you keep talking. You're a nice person. You have a nice voice. And anytime you want me, call out. I'll I'll yell back, yes, I'm here. I'm still listening. (laughs) And, And if you get tired talking, don't worry about it. Hang up and call me back tomorrow. I'll put you back on the speakerphone. You keep talking. I'll keep listening and doing my chores. <laughs> That's awesome. She, yes. I did this once for a fella. It was a, a relative. That's why I did it for him. Okay. He also, he also had over a dozen of them. I, I made like I was the first one. Uh, I mean, I made, excuse me, I made like I was him. Right. I said to him, I said to him I'm going to do the first one. You do the rest. Well, the collection person the other end of the phone when I did that said I don't have time to deal with someone like you I have other people to call slam and he did all the rest they never called him back again and then I went on to show how you how you negotiate your debt down okay whole, whole chapter on that do you want to maybe give a couple um, little tips on, on kind of that Sure, why not? Okay. Well, look, we don't want to do it, Kevin, like we do in Brooklyn. Okay. In Brooklyn, what we do is we sit down with the other person we owe money, and the first thing we say is the other person, now, Mr. Person, when we leave this room, the question is, do you want to be walking or you want to be limping? (laughs) 
That's how you do it in Brooklyn. You ask them very simply, just tell me which knee you want to keep. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> so, but, but we can't do things that way. So, sure. uh, yeah, it's very simple. You have to figure out if you have any money to work with at all for all your creditors. Okay. I mean, if you don't have any, you don't have any. Sure. I mean, that's it. But if you do, or let's say, uh, I don't know, make up a number. Yeah, you have you have $2,000 that you could spare or borrow. Keep in mind, you'll have to pay that back if you borrow, you know, your brother, your uncle, your father, whatever. Sure. And, and you owe $10,000. Okay. Right? Well, $2,000 is 20% of $10,000, mm-hmm. right? Therefore, you make a list of every creditor, everyone you owe money. Their names and the amounts, their phone numbers, right? Mm-hmm. And you figure out what twenty percent is of each one of them, right? Okay. This one you owe five hundred, so twenty percent is a hundred dollars. This one you owe a thousand, twenty percent is two hundred dollars. Now, by the way, collection companies will never negotiate because they only get, let's say, you know, twenty percent on the dollar of what they collect. You, right. know, you follow? So yep. if you owe a thousand dollars, they're not going to settle. You know, for two hundred dollars and, and get forty dollars out of it. So that's why you have to get it out of the collection company's hands, and that's how you, I told you you run them out of town. And just know this: if you have a debt that is more than a, you know, you have to call in your state. I don't know about Canada, but in your state, in New York, in, in this USA, you call the secretary. Uh, your t- attorney general or the secretary treasurer, either one of them, we're all very friendly. It's one of those two. And they'll tell you the statute of limitations on a debt. Okay. If, if it's exceeded that and you get a call from a collection company, you tell them this debt is X amount of time, you know, months old or year or whatever it is. It's past the uh, statute of limitations. If you continue to call me, I will notify the attorney general's office and file a complaint against you. They'll say, look, just just give us $10. We're fine. No. The minute you send one penny, the statute of limitations starts over again. Okay. Interesting. Good point. Okay. Sure. And a lot of times they are past the statute of limitations. Well, anyway, so now you figured out what 20% is, let's say. I'm using that as a, an arbitrary number. You have sure. Two, that, that. You figured out what is. And the collection company only gets a certain amount of time to, for the debt. That when they get it from uh, you, you, you owe a medical bill or whatever it is, and they get it from the, 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 the their client, they don't have it indefinitely. They have three months or six months or four months, whatever it is to handle. And then it goes back to the original person. Now, that original, those original people saw that the collection company failed. They have nothing. They will settle. But you don't offer them that 20%. You offer them way less because everyone wants to feel they're going to get more out of you than you're offering. Sure. So you start, off, you start off lower and you let them come up. And when you agree to something, right, you want it in writing from them that they will accept X amount of dollars in full payment of the entire debt. And they will notify the credit reporting agencies, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. Right. That this has been settled in full. You want a copy of that letter because half the t- not half the time, a lot of times they don't notify them. So you have a copy of it that has been paid in full, 
right? You have sure. to cancel the check, go something, and then you send it to the credit reporting agency, and that's how you clear up your credit while paying off your debts. Oh, interesting. That that's really good advice, and and it's interesting. Just I guess kind of what resonated with me about about the debt thing is I I know like a lot of people, especially in America, have a lot of like student debt and and whatnot, and you know I'm sure other kind of credit card debt, and it's the same in Canada. And and actually, right now in the province I live in, we're we're kind of going through a bit of a recession here. Like we're a big oil province, and so with the mm. oil being uh, uh, kind of <laughs> terrible right now. Uh, you know, even the Canadian dollar is almost uh, not half, but, you know, it's it's go- coming down quite a bit where it used to be a kind of on par with, with the American dollar. And so our dollar is doing kind of um, terrible right now. But so that that's always kind of interesting to me because there's a lot of people locally and kind of across, you know, North America and, and the world that are struggling with, with, with yes. this stuff. So kind of any advice, I'm sure people appreciate that. Um. But yeah, Harris, this is this has been awesome, and we're, we're kind of running out of time. But I'm kind of curious if there's any other kind of stories you want to uh, quickly share share with the listener, or we'll kind of end this with kind of covering where people will can buy your book and and find you online. Yeah, the best thing is yeah, it's it's yeah because we can go on endlessly with stories. Where they find me online is uh, it's naturally www it's harrishelps dot org okay. Harris Help. H-A-R-R-I-S, helps.org. Uh, they buy the book online. It's my money and I want it. They could also contact me through there. Uh, and the book is filled with with scripts and stories and things to say. How to buy a business, business how to go in business. Do you buy a business? Do you go into partnership with someone? Do you start from scratch? Uh, endless, you know, a whole there's an entire chapter dedicated to business and business people going to business. Then there's an entire chapter on dealing with IRS, a chapter for householders squeezing more juice out of your orange, how to hold on to more of your hard earned money, you know, having more working less and easier without having to earn more. Uh, it's just filled with that stuff. When you walk away from the book, you walk away with a new different state of mind. That's the deal. Not like how to invest, make a million dollars. You walk away with an absolute different state of mind every time you put your hand in your pocket to for a credit card or, or write a check. No, that that's a that's a great way to kind of end the show. And I think um, what you're doing is really cool and and really useful. And that's kind of why I wanted to have you on the show. But uh, Harris, thanks again for doing this. It's awesome. Um, I look forward to kind of keeping in touch with you. And uh, you know, who knows what the future will hold, right? Yep, absolutely. Great time. Great show. Perfect. And I'll post the links and whatnot um, to what you just mentioned um, on uh, the buildingthefutureshow.com. And uh, people can kind of uh, go there and check you out online and get a copy of the book. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Have a good day. Uh, all right, man. You too. Hey, later. Be well, babe. Take hey. care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. Until next time, keep building the future.